Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Fired Up, the hottest sports show in Central Ohio. The show where four sports fans talk sports for the fans. Our topics for this evening are down the backstretch they come, recapping this year's Belmont Sticks, golf's best of the best get together for the US Open. Big results mean big paydays. A couple of LA Rams get big deals. The Lightning are back in the Stanley Cup Finals. Will they three-peat? The future stars of the NBA are coming. Where will each of these stars hear their names called on draft night? We are down to the final few games in the NBA Finals. Who will be taking home the championship? With that, I give you our chief of our fire brigade, Rob Cow. Thanks, Fulton. Good to be back in Delaware, Ohio, Thursday night. Beautiful, beautiful night. Uh, nice and cool down here in the studio, though. Uh, just two of us tonight. Uh, Matt's on a vacation. Braden's working, so we're going to give it a wing with just two of us here and see how we do. Um, like Colton said, we're going to, you know, recap the Belmont. You know, the favorite going in was Mo Donegal, and uh, you know, it, it panned out. <laughs> yeah. Five to two, I guess, were the odds on him going in. Uh, we the people led early. Um, and then, you know, your Kentucky Derby winner, Rich Strike, he was last for a long time mm-hmm. and only wound up six out of an eight-horse field. And I got some news on that. Um, as we reported last week, you know, we said, this is a race that you can't hang back in. You got to kind of be in the middle of the pack. You can't expect to make a late push in this race. Mm-hmm. That's kind of been the strategy. And I was surprised. Um, but the trainer, Eric Reed, took the blame. He said, you know, he said, we changed our tactics and we shouldn't have. And, and it surprised me out of a guy. This guy's been a trainer since 1983. Mm-hmm. Been, you know? around, been around a long time. Yeah, and it, been in the horse business. His dad was a trainer for 40 years. I mean, oh, wow. he, you know, he's he's a horseman, been there a long time. And they changed their strategy. They said uh, going in that, um, you know, Rich Strike was a horse that likes to run on the rail. And, mm-hmm. and, and he, for whatever reason, told the jockey to keep him off the rail. <laughs> yeah. And, um you know, that's where this three-year-old Colt, you know, likes to run and, and they didn't keep him there. And if you watch the replay, which I did again today, um, you can see the horse, Rich Strike has his head cocked Mm. the whole time he's running, looking at that rail. He was more worried about being on that rail than leading the race. So, you know, I think they out, they, uh, you know, psych, psych themselves out, psych themselves out, you know, he said even the horse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And mess the horse up. So sometimes the horses are smarter than the trainers, I think on where they want to run. And he also told him to hold him back for one final kick. And like we said last week, this isn't a race that um, that's a, that that's worked out as a good strategy very often. So uh, yeah, you know, it was it was just a surprise to see him finish that far back in the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Nest kind of made a push there coming down the stretch, gained a little bit on Mo Donegal, but uh, you know he was he was too far out in front. I think a two and a half length uh, win. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what you got? What do you think of the race, Colton? Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, just kind of a, you know, <clears throat> piggybacking off of that, uh, you know, rich strike. You know, maybe some of it has to do with, you know, there was no expectations, obviously, coming into that Kentucky Derby. You mm-hmm. know, nobody, obviously, nobody was expecting with 80 yeah, eight, to 1 80 odds to, one, right? uh, to win the Kentucky Derby. And then, you know, as a result, you know, they didn't race in the Preakness. And then they come into this Belmont with probably a lot higher expectations. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, wasn't the favorite obviously coming into the race, but obviously had a, a lot higher odds to, to potentially take home, take home the crown here. But I think that, that, you know, might've played into it a little bit too, that, you know, some of the expectations coming in, you know, a little bit, a little bit different situation than when they walked into the Kentucky Derby, they could, you know, let the horse be, you know, pretty loose and just, you know, come in and, and race. And, you know, if we win, we win, it's, a, you know, an added, added bonus, you know, weren't expecting to win, but in this Belmont, they, they had a little bit higher, higher expectations on them. So, probably just uh you know like i said psych psych themselves out a little bit on you know the strategy and, and whatnot but uh you know ultimately yeah like you said mo donegal took it took it first and uh nest nest finished sec mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me nest finished second mm-hmm. um and actually both those horses owned by the same guy yeah yeah so that was uh you know pretty pretty neat to see um and 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 actually mo donegal's um jockey grew up just down the street from this from this racetrack in, in oh, New York City. Okay. So hometown guy, you know, grew up around this racetrack, you know, been around the racetrack, been around the horse track a lot. Uh, so it's good to see, you know, happy to see a hometown guy, uh, you know, come come and win this win this race or, you know, win this one. I mean, 
this this same guy actually won the Belmont back in 2016 with obviously a different different horse. Um, and uh, his brother actually, uh, the brother um, Jose. Uh, so the the writer the writer of uh, Mo Donegal is uh, Erod Ortiz. Uh, his brother Jose Ortiz actually won this year's Preakness. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, kind of a a brotherly you know brotherly competition. Each each one of them picking up a win in the you know in in the uh, Triple Crown. Um, but yeah, just uh, very very uh, interesting to see. You know, we talk we've talked about it a little bit uh, about the Triple Crown, just kind of how it was disappointing that you know the Rich Strike didn't race in the Preakness. You know, it, it just kind of you know killed the vibe a little bit. But uh, you know, looking at it, not only you know it goes even further. Not a single horse competed in all three legs of the triple crown so not even wow. a single one you know even you know what regardless of you know regardless of yeah. whoever won that kentucky derby nobody you know competed in all three legs for, for for this year so you know a little bit little bit disappointing i guess you could say there for for horse racing but uh you know it's it's the first time ever that uh three different horses have won the triple crown in four consecutive seasons mm. so okay. you know we're, we're going on yeah four seasons now that that three different horses have all won you know the kentucky derby i don't know the, if that's the, a competitiveness and yeah the, yeah know, i don't know horse business right now or you know. yeah well i mean it, it someone has to play you know i think it is a little bit of that competitiveness but it, it's also you know that thing of you know these jockeys or whatever are resting their horses or you know not competing in all three legs of the of the triple crown <laughs> they're deciding to you know instead you know race one here take a week off, race another one here, you know, whatever. So just yeah, a little bit, a little bit different strategy, I guess, you know, not, I guess not pushing the horse, you know, early on in the, in the season and, and, you know, trying to just, you know, keep the horse healthy for, for the rest of the, the racing season. Cause obviously these are the three big races in horse racing, but they're not the only, not the only three. Ones, so, right. yeah. um, you know, I think it's just, yeah, something they're trying to look at the, the longevity of the, of the season instead of, you know, looking in the, the short term, I guess, of trying to be, that illustrious, you know, triple crown winner, if you will. So very good. Well, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this going forward, how these horses do the rest of the season and, uh, and, uh, you know, see if they, you know, rest and them did make a difference. So, mm-hmm. all right. On to, on to the links here, the U S open the country club in uh, Brookline, Massachusetts, uh, opened in, uh, or established in 1882. One of the long, oldest, golf, long one. yeah, yeah long one, one of the oldest ones in, uh, in the, in the United States, um, you know, coming in your, you know, Canadian open winner, uh, Roy McEl- Rory McElroy was a favorite at 10 to one and Scheffler and, uh, Justin Thomas, I think were the second best odds, mm-hmm. um, coming in. I don't know. Uh, Rom was the defending U S open champ and he was pretty far back. I think in the, in the odds, mm-hmm. um, this is going to be a tough course. I think this weekend I was doing a little reading and they, they said the roughs are five and a half inches deep. Yeah, some of the uh, thicker, thicker rough amongst courses that yeah, they play. Yeah, so you know, obviously, um, accuracy is going to be important. You know, hitting your hitting your fairways and, mm-hmm. uh, but playing at seven thousand three hundred fifty six yards, it also kind of favors the big hitters a little mm-hmm, bit too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you can if you can get that that right combination of accuracy and distance, you know, th- this could be your weekend. Um, you know, obviously, Tigers a no this weekend. Um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. still trying to you so know going to rehab get up back. To, to be able to play in the British Open here yep. in, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so. and uh, and Mickelson's a yes. So mm-hmm. you know, with everything going on with the LIV League and all that, then Mickelson is is know, playing is on playing the course on the course. Didn't but, have a good day. No, no. Um, <clears throat> you know, it right now four unders leading it through. Uh, um, uh, had Hadwin is actually uh, yeah, in the Ad, lead. Adam 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 Hadwin, Hadwin at uh, minus four, and that's through sixteen. Most everybody else is finished. A mm-hmm. um, bunch of guys tied at three under, including Rory, Rory McIlroy, and a uh, bunch of guys at two, and then a ton of them at at one under. So mm-hmm. you know, course is playing pretty pretty competitive. It looks like right now. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like you said, with this this course being a you know an older course or whatever. I mean, they played this. They played this course at the U.S. Open last time they played it, you know, for the U.S. Open was back in 19, 1988. So it's been a while since they've, you Hopes know, competed go. here for the for the U.S. Open. But, uh, you know, I think it's going to be going to be interesting. I mean, yeah, today I think was was ideal, you know, ideal, a little bit windy, I think, uh, out there on the course. But the rest of the week is going to get 
very interesting, I think. Uh, tomorrow it's supposed to be like mid to high 80s, mm-hmm. but a high percentage chance of rain, very high chances of wind. So just going to be, yeah. you know, different conditions, I think, than what they're experiencing, you know, today. Um, and then, you know, it, it keeps changing from there. I mean, Saturday and Sunday, the temperatures drastically drop. They go down into like the low 60s mm. um, and, you know, very little chances of rain, but that wind still up there in the, you know, 15, 25 mile an hour wind. So yeah. it's, it's, it's going to usually not like a consistent direction. They mm-hmm. say out there, either a lot of swirling winds and right, you right. Know, change of direction there a lot. So, yes, yeah, so I think a little, I, I don't expect to have, you know, a ton of like, you know, super low scores. I think, you know, under you know nine under you know somewhere in that range you know nine ten under maybe you know will be enough to enough to win it just because of the the conditions that are going to be changing over the over the next couple of days so it's just going to have to be be able to play you know consistent golf and you know make make pars instead of you know bogeys or you know it might be you know something instead of you know picking up birdies you're you're just hoping to get a par instead of you know bogeying or double bogeying you know something like that so but yeah you hit it you know the nail on the head you're gonna have to be you know, pretty accurate, you know, not only off the tee, but just your, your approach shots, your second shots have to be uh, pretty, pretty accurate on this course too. Um, I think that's probably why Scheffler was up there. He's been hitting his iron irons real well mm-hmm. um, so far this year. And uh, yeah, so, you know, we'll see how that works out. For yeah. Him. Cause I was uh, kind of reading something and just kind of reading something about the, about the course, uh, the green, you know, overall like square footage of the greens is, is one of the smallest in the PGA at, you know, they're roughly, I don't know, each one is like on average about 4,000 square feet. And I'm not exactly sure how that compares to, you know, some of the other courses that they play. But, you know, just from what I was reading, they were saying that these are, you know, some smaller, much, much smaller greens than mm-hmm. what, you know, they're accustomed to on, you know, other courses that hosted majors or other, sure. you know, courses that they played. So I think that, you know, obviously plays to that, to that accuracy. But, Absolutely. you know, you, you talked about it then off the, off the tee. Yeah, the, the, the rough is rough here um so you're gonna have to keep it keep it in the short grass um to set yourself up to have you know a good good chance at you know putting it on in two or putting it on in in, in three um if you're playing playing a par five so you know like you know a couple couple golfers that i you know like based on you know some of those you know criteria we talked about it you know rory uh he's three under um through through round one he's you know up there towards the top um I like uh, Shane Shane Lowry is another one. Unfortunately, he's one over for the day, um, but still still in contention since you know nobody's really super low at this at this point. Um, and I also like the the guy that that competed real well at the PGA Championship. I like Mito Mito Pereira to to, mm. to do well on this on this course. Um, he also is is one over um, after today, and then a couple more guys got got Xander Shoffley who shot an even par you know for today and then uh, you know as always John Rahm just because he always seems to be pretty consistent you know great great iron guy just you know pretty well-rounded all overall kind of this, kind of this guy this is his only major championship too was mm-hmm. it, you know the U.S. Open so yeah he's defending that as well right um, I like my guy Will Zalatoris again this weekend mm-hmm. uh He's finished the course today at one under, you know, um, so he's right there in the contention. And right. I, I guess I got to go with the odds makers as well. I really like Rory's chances. Yeah, he, he put on a put on a show last week at yeah. the at the yeah. uh, RBC Can- Canadian Open. There, I mean, played he, pretty well yeah. at, down here in Dublin a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And um, but it always seems like you know at least the last couple of majors or you know major tournaments, um, he's he always starts off hot, and then yeah. it's like one day or you know one round he you know kind of I wouldn't say that he like has a real bad day he just kind of fades he doesn't keep it consistently going mm-hmm. he you know may only shoot like you know a one under instead of you know the first couple of days he was shooting like three and four under on yeah. those on those days so it just seems like he kind of runs out of gas and then you know Sunday he's somewhat scrambling and, and he you know makes a push but he's just so so far back mm-hmm. he you know can't make a can't make enough you know make up enough ground so I think it'll be yeah interesting to see if he can because it seemed like in that in that Canadian Open last week, he he was consistent, you know, all four days, and and really made yeah. you know some some strokes. So I think that'll be uh, you know interesting to see, or that'll be the key if if Rory <laughs> Rory wants to take this one is to you know yeah. put his consistent. foot on the gas pedal and and keep it keep it going. So well, the course record sixty four here on a you know a par seventy one. So uh, you know it's not like they're shooting twelve and you know eight nine. 
10 over very often on this, you know, in a round here. So, yeah, like Colton said, eight or nine under for the whole weekend could could win this. Mm-hmm. Thing. Yeah, like I said, especially with, with the, the different weather conditions, conditions that they'll that have they to be. Have, yeah. So. <clears throat> All right. Very good. Well, from the pretty natural grass onto the AstroTurf, talk <laughs> about the big boys in the NFL. A couple guys got got some big paydays this week. Uh, yeah, two guys from the same yeah, team. From the same team. Yeah. So, you know, I guess – Looking at the LA Rams, they're you know in that mode of you know we're gonna win, we're gonna win now, and you know keep, we're gonna keep, keep the guys that got us there. And- yeah, yeah. So first off, out of the gate was Aaron Donald, and you know he just set the bar for defensive ends as far as getting <laughs> defensive paid. players in general. I yeah, think. <laughs> I mean he's getting quarterback money. Yeah, yep. you know they compared it to a star quarterback's money. Um, you know he kind of made the statement earlier, maybe two weeks ago that. Eh, I'm okay if I never played football again. I think that was <laughs> yeah. he, he he wasn't fooling anybody. Right, right. And also said, man, and it's not about the money. It was absolutely about <laughs> yeah, the money. Yeah. Um, but he got a payday of uh, three year, ninety five million. Yeah, just um, a, an extension on top of his deal. You right. Know, just to clarify, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, wasn't a new deal. It right. was three years on top of. And then what there's he another had. five million in there for something. I don't even remember what. So mm-hmm. basically, a hundred million dollars. So thirty three million dollars a year mm-hmm. um, on his extension. So that puts him making more money than Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. at uh, sixty three million in three years. So actually, like ten million dollars more a year than Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. and. Uh, more than Josh Allen, he's getting uh, 93 million over three years. So, right, right. Um, you know, eight years in the league. You know, is the guy worth it? I guess that's my question to you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I definitely don't. You know, I think he's deserving. I mean, yeah, like you said, his 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 contract or his extension is you know makes him the highest paid non QB mm-hmm. in the league. I think this guy has definitely lived up. You know, lived up to the hype. Oh, I definitely. mean, uh, three time defensive player of the year. Uh, over you know almost a hundred sacks in his you know short eight year career. Uh, I mean the accolades go on and on. Six six of those eight seasons he's had at least ten sacks, um, which is second most by a, mm-hmm. a primary year primary interior lineman um, since they started tracking sacks back yeah. in 1982. So yep. you know he, he's he's done a lot for that team. He you know has has played with the Rams you know from their transition from St. Louis over you know out to L. A. Um, you know, a, a hard working guy out of, out of Pitt, you know, uh, University of Pittsburgh, um, you know, and and you look at him and it's like he's a big he's a big guy, but he's not, you know, he's not massive. He's not like, you know, he's not a 320 pound, you know, defensive lineman or defensive tackle that you typically see. I mean, he's he's like a short, a little short guy. I mean, he's obviously built and stocky and, you know, is, is muscle, muscular, but just not, you know, your kind of prototypical defensive tackle that you think of, mm-hmm. but the guy just has a, a motor that yeah. is, is second to none. Yeah. Um, and, and that, and that shows in all of his, all of his stat category. I mean, he's made the pro bowl every year he's been in the league. Yeah. Seven straight. He's the only player that's ever done that, which mm-hmm. I was surprised to see. Yeah. You know, uh, like Colton said, three time defensive player of the year, averaging over 12 sacks in all eight seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, do I think he's worth it? Yeah, I think he's worth it. He's Absolutely. a game changer out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the yeah. offense always has to be aware of where Aaron Donald's lining yeah. up. And I mean, if you look at that, you know, just look at the Super Bowl. He made basically the, the game winning play, the game ceiling play for him in the in the Super Bowl. You yeah. know, fourth down, um, he he got you know got pressure on Joe Burrow. I mean, didn't didn't get a sack, but got enough pressure to you know uh, pressure Burrow to to make a you know not a not a decent throw or not be able to set his feet and make a, make a decent throw to convert the first down. And, you know, the Rams win the game, they win the Super Bowl and, you know, he gets his, you know, first Super Bowl, you know, under his belt. But uh, yeah, the guy, the guy's an animal, um, definitely, you know, well, well deserving. Um, But yeah, like you said, it's, it's, it's been interesting for the, for the Rams. I mean, they've shelled out a lot of money here this, this off season. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the the next guy that they, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. gave some money to, but, you know, prior to Donald, they gave, you know, Stafford a new four-year, $160 million deal. Um, they, you know, obviously signed Cooper Cup, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, they still got Odell Beckham hanging out there as a, as a free agent. You know, what, what are they going to do going to do so, with him? And, so the, it begs the question, how do they do that and stay underneath the salary cap? I mean, I, at this point, I don't think that they that they do. I mean, they probably play they pay, pay the the hard tax or the hard luxury well, tax. Or I did read one thing. One thing they're kind of uh, infamous for is giving a signing bonus, mm-hmm. which 
doesn't count. Well, it does count, okay. but it's prorated over the life of your contract. Okay. So okay. if you get a, you know, 30, $30 million signing bonus, you get a three year contract that only counts towards 10 million a year mm-hmm, instead mm-hmm. of that first year when they actually get the bonus, they, right, they right. prorate that out over, um, the, the three, the length of the contract. And that's what actually counts against your cap. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that explains a little bit, but yeah, they're, they're wow. shelling out money. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. and, and I mean, they're, they're no, you know, they're not shying away from it. I mean, they, no. it's been, you know, notorious or they've come widely, out and said widely known that they, I mean, they haven't had a first round draft pick in like five, six years and they don't have one for the next several, several years. So it's, it's, it's well known that they, you know, are, are planning to build their team through, through free agency or, you know, through keeping their core guys that they, that they've had on their team and, you know, shelling out money to keep those guys. So, you know, and, and it's, it's paid off even, even if it hasn't always translated to Super Bowls, the Rams have always been, you know, have been a good team here of the last, you know, five, six years mm-hmm. or whatever, since they've started kind of moving towards this, this strategy, if you will. So, I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, you know, how how it pans out. It's always obviously tough to, you know, repeat as as Super Bowl champs yeah. and and you know it, and just just get back to the playoffs. So, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, if, if all this money pays off for them. But uh, you know, we, we want to talk about the the next guy that they shelled out some money for. Yeah, Cooper Cup, like Colton said, and this is a guy. You know, I sang his praises all last year. I thought he should have been MVP of the league mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he did wind yet um, wind up as your Super Bowl MVP. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it, not only was he a great performer in the regular season, he won the receiving triple crown last year. Uh, most receptions at 145, most yards at just shy of 2,016 touchdowns. Um, so, you know, you're, uh, you know, we just got done talking about horse racing, but, you know, he was your triple crown receiver last year. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then in the playoffs, he was even better in the playoffs last year. He had 45 receptions and seven touchdowns you know, and, and caught the, the touchdown that put them ahead, kept them, kept them there. Yeah. in in the Super Bowl. So, you know, um, you know, it's the guy here and it was, uh, I think one ten over five hundred ten million over five years. Yeah. Well that, cause like, just like Aaron Donald, it was actually an extension Mm -hmm. on top of his deal already. So yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Over the next five years, he's getting a 110 million with 75 million of that being guaranteed money, um, which puts him currently as, it's the highest amount of guaranteed money ever to uh, to an NFL receiver at the moment. So, uh, you know, definitely that you know, like you said, I think you know, well well deserved based on you know the one season that he had last year. I mean, we got to see this guy at the at the combine, and yeah. you know, I know a lot of the, the analysts and stuff like that were high on this guy at the combine. They were, you know, this was the guy. Hey, look at this guy. You know, be be on the lookout for this guy. He's going to be something in this league, even though coming out of a smaller, smaller, very, very small school, mm-hmm. um, still, you know, an elite, an elite athlete, a, almost a sure handed catch every oh time the God. ball, the ball goes his way. Amazing. But, but, uh, yeah, I think this, this guy, you know, is, uh, on the path to, to greatness out there and obviously locking down him. And then, you know, also locking down, you know, Matthew Stafford that just keeps that, that chemistry going that they, that they're building out there in LA. Um, but yeah, this guy's, this guy's phenomenal. Um, you know, just a little, little stat there. Um, Coop, uh, Cooper Cup is only one of eight players with uh, 5,500 receiving yards and 40 receiving touchdowns within his first five seasons in the league. Mm. Now, wait till I tell you the other guys, the elite company that he's joining, Mike Evans, A.J. Green, Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, Randy Moss, Marvin Harrison and Jerry Rice. Yeah, that's, that, that's that's pretty. You know, those are all you know probably Hall of Famers right yeah, there yeah, in, he, in my book. So it's yeah, you're you're joining obviously elite company. Uh, obviously, if he can keep keep it going, you know, and 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 you know, because it seems like sometimes, and you know, it's not it's not every guy, but it does seem like sometimes these guys they get these big deals, they kind of rest on their laurels, and and they you know stop putting the work in, and they, they you know they kind of have have a slump, or they kind of go into some some mm-hmm. slumping of you know, ah, you know, I got my big deal. That's all I really wanted. You know, now I'm just going to, you know, just be average or whatever. But this guy seems to be, I mean, even coming out of college, he seemed like he was a guy that just was determined to, to set the world on fire. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, this, he's going to continue to work hard for the Rams. And, I agree. And, and it, be, be a, and be a Aaron Donald as well. Like you said, the guy's got a motor. He's got that competitive spirit. I don't think that, you know, that he's going to be one that's just going to sit back and, you know, collect it 
collect a paycheck. So let's go ahead and do our commercial break. Uh, um, stick with us. We'll be, we'll be right back after a uh, word from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host Fired Up. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. All right, we're back. Thanks for sticking with us. On to the frozen water. Um, the You know, the finals are here. We're one game in. Um, the Avalanche took that first game. Um Jumped out to a big lead. Uh, Vasilevsky looked a little shaky in yeah. that first period. Mm -hmm. Gave up three goals on just 15 shots in that first period. And, you know, Colorado jumped out to that 3-1 lead. And then, you know, Tampa Bay came storming back, scored two in the in the second period to tie it up. And then the third went scoreless. So, mm -hmm. we had to, you know, had to go to overtime. So uh, Right, with the Avalanche know, taking that 4-3 yep, in the overtime. Of, yep. So, you know. I don't know what what was your take on the on the first game. What, what's your feeling? Yeah, no, I think uh, you know just just kind of a little bit of little bit of history here. You know, we, we talk about yeah the, the Avalanche coming in from the from the Western Conference. I mean they they got here you know first round they beat Nashville uh, four to four to four to nothing swept them. Uh, second round they got a little bit of a test from St. Louis. They beat them four to two, and then the Western Conference Finals they swept Edmonton four to nothing. So yeah. it seems like it's been a been somewhat of a breeze Pretty for, you know, for, so for, for, for Colorado to get in here. And, you know, we look on the other side, Tampa Bay, you know, looking to try to three-peat here as Stanley Cup champions. The road's been a little bit rocky for them mm -hmm. to, you know, to get here. But they've always, you know, answered the call, answered the test. But, uh, you know, first round, they beat the Los Angeles – or they beat uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs four, four to three. Then they, uh, you know, they, they won in the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, four to two against the Rangers after they were down uh, two two nothing in that mm -hmm. series. Obviously, in the second round they swept uh, the Panthers four four zero in that right, one. Right. So that was an easy series for them. But you know they they've they've had their tests, they've had their you know their struggles, um, but they've always answered the call. And you know that's obviously been a big part because of their you know their goalkeeper and and Andre Vasilevsky and. You know, you, you talk about it, you know, yeah, got off to a real, real shaky start, but you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to throw in the white, you know, the white flag just yet. No. I mean, they, they have not played well in game ones, um, you know, <laughs> historically. Um, so, and I don't, don't know why I thought, you know, it'd be the opposite, you know, Colorado was coming off of almost a 10 day layoff. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought that they would be the team that, you know, kind of looked a little bit shaky or looked, uh, you know, um, got the first game jitters and with, with Tampa Bay having just played, you know, a handful of days ago, mm -hmm. I thought they would be the fresher team, you know, ready to go, but was not, was not the case. Um, you know, Colorado came in determined. They got, you know, got to Vasilevsky early on. And I, I think that's the, that's the key. I think you, you know, somewhat have to have to keep, you know, keep attacking him early and get, get some shots in there in there early. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like I said, I'm not ready to hit the panic no, button no. On, on Tampa Bay. I, I would say, <clears throat> yeah, don't, don't get too worried about Tampa Bay getting rattled. I mean, in, in 11 of their, 11 of their playoff games they've lost game one five times yeah yep. so but you know obviously come back and won all those and like colton said started off against new york down 2-0 mm -hmm. um so you know they've been here before um actually i think this might a tight series might play to tampa bay's hand a little bit you mm -hmm. know because they have been in tight series already this year you yeah. know they're used to the pressure mm -hmm. their guys are and, obviously playoff season oh yeah absolutely. Um, you know you know we're coming back to colorado on saturday night mm -hmm. for game two yeah um but you know I, I look for tampa bay to get to to get one on the road here you know and go back to go back to florida tied up one to one mm -hmm. I, I just i just think they're a battle-tested team that's right. gonna that's gonna be able to pull this out yeah and i just think you know Vasilevsky, I mean, it, it, it's so hard or it's, it's hard to look and see where he's had like two games back to back where he's played, you know, or not, not great. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and, you know, you talk about those game ones and, and game ones being so bad. I mean, even for Vasilevsky, his stats are, I mean, miles apart um, in the four, just in the four playoff series, this, you know, for this playoffs, 
in game ones, he's one in three with almost a four goal allow average and then a uh, 88% save percentage. Games two through seven, he's 11 and three, giving up little under two goals a game and his save percentage is almost 94%. So it it jumps up, you know, it, it, yeah, it's weird. He struggled in game one so far, you know, through the, through the playoffs, but he comes back with a, with a vengeance in, in the next, you know, the games, you know, games two through seven. So, I mean, obviously everybody wants to give win game one, but, but right. I and and it, I mean, a, a stat that it is working in Colorado's favor. I mean, the teams since the Stanley cup has moved to the best of seven in 19, you know, since 1939, that's when they made the, the best of seven series in the Stanley cup final teams that win, um, game one go on to win the series 75 percent of the time so history is definitely you know on on colorado's side but i just you know yeah, Tampa obviously Bay, a very talented team but I tampa mean, yeah ob- yeah they definitely you know like you said they, they didn't get here by you know by luck i mean they mm-hmm. they pretty much cakewalked their way through and and, and beat the teams and dominated, dominated those teams that they they played prior to to making it to the stanley cup so definitely have have the experience have the you know the team to beat you know tampa bay but you know, they're, they're, Tampa Bay, like you said, is just a team that they're always hanging around. And if you let them, you know, hang around, they, they find ways to beat you. Yep. They 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 find ways they can win games one to nothing or they can win games five to four. I mean, they they, they can win just about any type of game that you can think of. They <laughs> they, they they find a way to win. And yep. that, that obviously helps. A lot of that contributes to their, you know, their superior goal goaltender that they yeah, got back absolutely. there. So right. I, I like Tampa Bay. Yeah, I do think Tampa Bay will come back win game two i like i like tampa bay to win this one but i think it goes goes the distance game game seven i do too all right for all from from the hard water to the hard wood we'll go uh and before we get into the nba finals we're just going to touch real quick we went one through seven last week on where we thought the draft was going we're going to do eight through 14 uh this week and at number eight the pelicans are picking and i got a G League player, Dyson Daniels, six six point guard coming. I think he played in the for the Pacers in the G League last mm-hmm. year. Put up great numbers, and uh, I look for the Pelicans to take him at number eight. Yeah, no, I, I you know I, I think that the New Orleans Pelicans definitely go go guard here. Um, mm-hmm. You know they 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 need somebody. I think they got plenty of offense. I, I think the the problem for them is that they don't really have anybody that can play any defense. Um, and they need somebody that can guard on the perimeter. So I like the I like the kid out of uh, the guard out of Arizona, uh, Benedict Benedict Matherton. Um, just an excellent shooter, real explosive athleticism, but also really really decent defender on the on the wing. And I think that's that's something that New Orleans has been lacking here of late. Is you know on the defensive side of the ball. Six foot six, two hundred and ten pound, uh, you know, uh, guard out of out of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, was you know eligible to come out. Obviously, last year, you, you know, was a sophomore. This year, was eligible to come out, and you know, thought about it, but ultimately decided, you know what, I'm going to come back. You know, come back for one more year. I'm just not ready. And I mean, yeah, his his he stats definitely improved his stats. His stats, his stock you in know, the draft way more, up from yeah. from his freshman year, and just yeah. you know, improved in in all aspects of the game. So yeah. I think was obviously a great a great business move from him, and you know, I think that reflects in him going a little bit higher in the in the draft than you know what he's projected last year. So, okay. all right, number nine, I got your boy Benedict at number nine going okay. to the Spurs. Okay. So, um, like you said, out of Arizona. Almost 18 points a game last year, almost six rebounds and two and a half assists a game. Mm-hmm. So I like him going to San Antonio to the Spurs at the number nine pick. All right. Well, yeah, number nine, I got I got a different guy that I think just fits the Spurs and Greg Popovich's system and just the overall kind of player and mentality that this guy is. And that's uh, the, the forward out of Baylor in, in Jeremy Sochan. Um, six foot eight, 220 pound freshman, just brings a ton of energy on that defensive side of the ball. And that, that he's just a hard nose grind it kind of guy. I just think that's the, the kind of guy that, that Greg Popovich always, always loves to have on his team. You know, a guy that, that isn't flashy, but is going to go in there and, and do the hard stuff for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy's just a, a tough, you know, smart uh, and just able to, he's got real quick feet. He's able to switch off those pick and rolls and, and move his feet and guard some of those, you know, quicker guards. I just think this is going to be, uh, you know, up if he's if he's available at this at this nine pick mm-hmm. for the Spurs, I think this is just kind of a, a match made in heaven for him. So, All right. uh, the Wizards are in the ten slot. Who you got going to the Wizards at number ten? Yeah, for me, I got uh, I got the guy, the, the kid, the kid out of Duke. I got AJ Griffin, the, the forward from from Duke, going to the Wizards. I mean, this guy, one of the better shooters in the class. Yeah. 
Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, just, you know, overall motor, just, just a, a guy that, uh, you know, can, can be a great defender as well. So just a great kind of three and three and D player in the, in the NBA, there are some injury concerns, you know, kind of, you know, some possibility that his camp was somewhat, you know, hiding some of the injuries that he's dealing with, you mm-hmm. know, whatever that could hurt his draft status. But ultimately I think this guy is just, you know, a, a ball player, um, you know, one of the kind of got, you know, hidden a little bit behind some of those other players at, at Duke. But I know overall, I think just has uh, you know, real shot to be, be a great guy there to, to match up with, uh, you know, Bradley Beal in, in, in Washington. I could also see the wizards maybe going, um, you know, with a big man here, but ultimately I think they'll, they'll settle on, on AJ Griffin. I agree. I got AJ, AJ Griffin at number 10 as well. Six, six, 220 pounds uh, forward out of Duke. Like Colton said, he's a great shooter, almost 50% from the floor, mm-hmm. 45% from the three point, you know, area. So, and, and like Colton said, he, he can defend the perimeter as well. So I, right. I like, I like AJ at number 10 as yeah. well. Just kind of a bigger, bigger body too. Cause he can kind of get to the bucket when he mm-hmm. wants to, too. So he's just it's real personal on the, and... on the offensive end. So who you got at number 11 to the New York Knicks? Well, I'm going uh, back-to-back Dukies here Uh-oh. with the, with the Knicks. I got uh, the big man uh, from from Duke in, in Mark Williams, a okay. seven foot two, two hundred and forty pound, uh, you know, center out of out of Duke here. I just think this guy, obviously, I don't, I don't, his his offensive game has still got to be polished. I mean, he's mostly a guy that's just going to get the cleanup buckets around the around the baskets, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know, going to get some putbacks there and you know, maybe some easy, you know, kind of dishes from a guy drive into the lane to, you know, get some easy dunks or, you know, whatnot. That was kind of his game. But I mean, if you look at this guy, I mean, from his freshman to his sophomore season, I mean, you, you can't look at a bigger, a big man that made a bigger jump than, than he did between his, you know, two seasons at, at Duke. I mean, whatever, whatever coach K did, I mean, obviously coach K goes down as one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time, whatever they were able to do between his freshman and sophomore season, you know, hats off to them because it was, you know, phenomenal that the jump that, that he made seven foot seven wingspan. Um, excellent, you know, but I think the Knicks on the defensive end are going to see the, the, you know, going to uh, reap the rewards of, of this guy. I mean, uh, excellent rim protector yeah, average. Yeah. I mean, uh, almost close to five blocks, I believe at, at his sophomore season at, at Duke guy just, yeah, with those long arms. And I mean, he's already a tall guy as it is. I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to, to score in the paint with this guy, you know, plugging, plugging the paint. So I think that's where the Knicks are, you know, going to, going to like him there. And I think he'll fit well into, into the New York system, still developing on that, on that offensive game. Well, I'm going to go a different way. I got uh, Tari Eason coming out of LSU, um, played his first season at, you know, freshman season at Cincinnati. Um, things didn't work out for him there. You know, he's a six, eight forward. He transferred to LSU and, um, in that transfer from one year to the next, his points went up like almost eight points a game from one year to the next. So mm-hmm. I think the Knicks need him as a scorer, yeah. um, you know, in that big body of his, I, I like, I like Eason at number 11 to the New York Knicks. All right. All right. Number 12, the Oklahoma city thunder. Mm-hmm. I'm going overseas. Okay. Osmani dang. Mm, okay. Six ten center out of France. Mm-hmm. Um, 6'10", 216, so obviously he's going to have to bulk up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he was playing in, the, I think, the Australian League, yeah, which is New, Ze- New Zealand. New I Zealand think. League, yep. Uh, yep. which is actually becoming more of a uh, a pipeline, a pipeline you... to the to the NBA. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like he's not playing a good, good competition in that league. But, I mean, one thing we're going to have to – he just turned 19 years old in May. So, mm-hmm. he may be, if not the one of the youngest players in the draft. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously maybe he's still got some – some growing to do, maybe not height wise, but you know, filling Just out, develop into his filling body, out that body mm-hmm. a little bit. So yeah, I, I like him at number twelve to Oklahoma City. All right, well, I got a little bit of a maybe a I don't know if a strange pick, but you know, maybe a, a risky pick, and that's um, you know, Shaden Sharp, the guard out of out of Kentucky. Um, guy has not played pretty much you know basketball or you know played in a competitive basketball game for almost a couple of years. Um, sat out his entire year at, at Kentucky due to some, you know, some issues that were going on there, there at Kentucky. But I mean, this guy has great athleticism, great shot making ability, six foot five, 200 pound guard, um, you know, like I said, from Kentucky, but, you know, never actually played a, played in a game for, for Kentucky. So I think that this guy is going to be a little bit of a, of a project and you don't know what you're, what you're really going to get, you know, because he hasn't really played against competitive competition for, for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. So, 
but I think the Thunder obviously somewhat still in, in rebuild mode, um, you know, have a ton of, of, of draft picks over the next couple of years due to a bunch of trades and free agency and things like that, that they've done over the last couple of years. So I think if, if there's a team that, that can take a little bit of a risk or, you know, is looking to take a risk, I think it's the Thunder knowing that the expectations for the Thunder are not, you know, not super high. I mean, this is not a team that is going to probably compete for an NBA title, you know, next year. So I think they can take a little bit of a risk knowing that this guy has has a super high ceiling if they can tap into that potential. <clears throat> All right, very good. All right, well, um, the Hornets, Charlotte Hornets have the 13 pick, and I'm going with your boy Mark Williams out of Duke there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like Colton said, the wingspan, um, I think they said his reach standing flat-footed is like 9 foot 9. Yeah, almost 10 foot. Yeah, yeah. almost 10 foot. Um, so, you know, that's a guy that – when a guard comes in, he doesn't have to leave his feet to, you know, alter a shot. No. So, so, you know, there, if you don't leave your feet, then you're not going to get those fouls called mm -hmm. on you as much. So right. I think that plays to plays to his. And like Colt said, he's going to be a close to the rim player on both sides of the mm -hmm. ball, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, rim protector, you know, and, uh, you know, cleaning up some loose change off the boards and, you know, maybe some, maybe some dump downs from outside. And I, I guess I would, if I had to, compare him to somebody that I think maybe his game mimics a little bit. I would maybe go with Rudy Gobert, mm -hmm. yep. which pretty nice company, three time defensive player of the year. So, yep. um, you know, if he can, if he can get somewhere near what Rudy's done in the league, I, you know, we'll, we'll give him props. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I got, got a different big man that the Hornets will be taking and that's uh six foot 11, 250 pound uh, freshman out of uh, the university of Memphis in, in Jalen Duran. Um, this guy, you know, solid, you know, from everything I'm reading, just solid hands for a big man and quick on his quick on his feet. Um, you know, so I think, uh, you know, that, that just plays well, you know, in the NBA, you know, being able to catch those dump downs or, you know, kind of those dishes from from guards or, you know, whatnot. Um, and then, you know, on the defensive side, being able to move your feet when when those switches happen. I mean, in today's NBA, the pick and roll seems to be pretty much everybody's offense nowadays is, is kind of the pick and roll. So, if this guy's able to switch off onto some smaller guards and still move his feet, he's going to be a heck of a ball player on the, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and I still think just has a lot of untapped potential, you know, on, on both sides. So I think the Hornets are going to get a guy that they can, you know, that has a ton of upside. Um, but yeah, just solid big man with, with solid hands and, and, and quick feet for, for a big guy. I think uh, they're getting a, getting a good one with, with Jalen Duran. All right. Who you got for number 14 going to the Cleveland Cavaliers? Yeah. The home hometown Cavaliers. Um, I like your, I like your guy out of, out of New Zealand and, and Osmani dang here. Um, you know, like you said, uh, you know, a little bit uh, tall, tall guy, but still got a, somewhat put some put some meat on those on those bones so know, do they need more height with the twin towers already up there yeah or? i mean i don't know um I, I think this guy you know because of his size and stuff i think you might be able to play him at, at guard i think okay. you know they can they can put him at, at guard or you know one of the one of the shooting guards or maybe even like a small forward because yeah like you said they're pretty well versed in in the front court at, at power forward and center i mean they got you know three or four guys over seven foot at those positions and seem Seem pretty well set set at those positions. But being so young, I mean, yeah, they got time to work, you know, to develop him too. Yeah, and I um, think that, yeah, like I said, this guy could be a nice piece on the on the perimeter. So I think he could find a way into his into the rotation. Not, you know, at the same time, I don't think a ton of high expectations as well. Um, so you know, I think that gives him time to kind of kind of develop and and you know work into himself and doesn't have to be an immediate contributor. So I think that gives him a little bit of time to to develop and, and, and grow into, you know, a potential dangerous weapon for the, for the Cleveland Cavaliers. So. Okay. Very good. Well, I'm going to go a different route. Uh, I'm going to take another big 10 player, the guard out of OSU, Malachi Bram. Okay. Um, I like his motor. I like his defense. Um, you know, that's something rare in the league. Um, and I don't know, uh, you know, I think he's going to fit in good with the, with the height that they already have up there. Mm -hmm. the, the kid can score, you know, 45, percent from three-point land and 50 percent from the floor overall so i really i really like him i think he'd be a great fit for the cleveland Cavaliers. yeah who were you know border you know they made made the play-in tournament last year obviously you know wanted to go a little bit further and make their way into the actual playoffs so i think you know they they might be you know one or two pieces away from being you know a real real contender or you know making some noise out there out there in the in the east so <clears throat> okay very good well, real quick, because uh, it ain't going to take long, we got the NBA Finals. <laughs> um, you know, we're down to uh, 
what could maybe be could the be last... the last game tonight, nine o'clock. You know, going back to Boston. Um, yeah, gosh, I don't know that. I thought Boston blew a perfect opportunity. You know, to take to go ahead and this go back ahead in this series. Um, you know, Steph didn't play good. No, uh, didn't make a single three, which yeah. is almost like the sign of the apocalypse right, anymore. Right. You know, and they, and they started out. You know, they were down by at halftime by twelve. After only putting up sixteen points in the first quarter, the yeah. Celtics. But they, you know, they 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 only battled scored, back. Only scored thirty nine points in the whole first half. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, almost doubled that in the third to you know finish the third period there down just down one point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I think. To me, the key has been the turnovers, mm-hmm. the turnovers, mm-hmm. the turnovers, the turnovers. Yeah. Um, Jason Tatum, great player, but he's got to get his turnovers under control. Mm-hmm. He set a record, a record you don't want, 95 turnovers so far in a playoff, <sighs> wow. passing LeBron James. Ooh, wowzers. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a killer. You know, had four mm-hmm. in game five the other night. Yeah, in a crucial, I think, crucial time, too, yeah. kind of down the stretch and, there. And, and to me – what it's been is um, turnovers, him and Jalen Brown, both when they're trying to get to the rim. Mm-hmm. Like when they make a spin move or mm-hmm. make a cut, they're getting stripped from the off the defensive off player, you mm-hmm. know, the guy that's coming over to help. Yeah. Um, you know, and, it, and they've been clean. I'm not saying that, uh, that Golden State's been getting away fouling, but, you know, they've been clean strips in the lane, it seems like, with him and him and Jalen Brown both. They're, they're averaging – more than two and a half turnovers, more than what Golden State is a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's a stat: I really I would have never guessed this, but uh, they're averaging almost six percent more from the three point line than what Golden State is. Yeah, you know, Golden State's known for their outside three point shooting. shooting. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I just think they missed a great opportunity in game five. Uh, in game five, yeah, you know, they wound up losing by ten. Mm-hmm. Um, Team Green's favored by three and a half tonight. Back yeah. back in Boston. What do you think, Colton? Is it back in Boston? Yes. No, it, is it yeah. Boston? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I For me, I, I have to look at it and I say the Celtics have somewhat, if you're looking at it, they, they've kind of slept walk in this series. They, they, you know, outside of that game one where they, you know, made that, you know, terrific comeback, to me, it seems like they've just been kind of lethargic and just kind of, you know, mosey and just kind of going with the flow, you know, that, that fire, that passion that they had kind of in game one, when they made, you know, the, the ferocious comeback has just not been there. Um, you know, I, I think that they, you know, need to find that fire. Obviously they need to find that fire. It's, it's, you know, win or go home at this point, you know, so there is, there is no tomorrow for Boston. Um, but yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's the turnovers for, for the Celtics. Um, in their, you know, in that game five, you know, loss, they had 18 turnovers, which led to 22 Warriors points. So, you know, you cut that number in half and, and you know, you, you, you're in a ball game, you got a close, close ball game there. So I think, yeah, like you said, that the, the turnovers are where it's going to, going to have to come down for the Celtics in their, in their losses, they're yielding 22 points um, off of turnovers and averaging almost 17 turnovers in their, in their losses, but in their wins, they only got about 12 turnovers and only given about about 14 points. So, I mean, a pretty significant amount of points and, and turnovers there that, you know, in their wins, you know, wins compared to losses. So I think, yeah, that that magic number for them is, you know, right around, you know, 10 to, you know, 10 to 12 turnovers is mm-hmm. about the most that they can they can have to, you know, if they expect to expect to win or have, right, you know, be right. competitive, I guess. Um, but for me, the next, you know, next key for, for Boston is, where, where's the contributions from the guys outside of Tatum and Jalen Brown? Um, you know, if you look, look at this series so far, Tatum Brown and Marcus smart have combined for 60% of the scoring in this, in this series, you know, then the other 40% have come from, you know, who knows at this point, you don't even know what you're, what you're going to get. So if the difference is, you know, Al Horford, Derek, Derek white and Robert Williams, in their in their wins, they're averaging almost you know a combined forty one points. In their losses, they're only averaging a combined twenty two points. So I think almost you know half. Yeah, yeah, we I think you know what you're going to get from the from the somewhat big three of, of Boston with with Tatum, Smart, and Brown. But you got to get enough contributions from those other guys yeah. to 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 make an impact to, right. to give Boston a, a real shot. And like I said. Boston just has to find that 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 energy that that passion you know mm-hmm. from from game one 
like I said, it seems like they've just been sleepwalking through this, through this series. So I, I, they got to find that fire. Like I said, it's game one, you know, you win this game, you got, you force a game seven and it's in anybody's ball game then, but you lose and there is no, that's it. You're done. So you gotta, gotta find some way to to get it done. So, yeah. And I, you know, going back, back home, I I like Boston in this game. I think they do get to win, Mm -hmm. but I guess just looking at how they played and what, how Golden State's been able to defend. Um, I look for this to go to Game Seven, but I look for Golden State to win it. Yeah, back out in Oakland. The 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 stat you know that I will will bring up: Boston is three and zero in elimination games so far in the playoffs. So yeah. when their back has been up against the wall, they rise they, they, to the they occasion. rise to the occasion. Yeah. And so for me, I know I know it's crazy. I know I've been high on the Celtics this whole you know the whole second half of the NBA season, but. I, I honestly think that they'll find they'll find they find ways to win when their back up their back is up against the okay. wall. I think they win game six and they go to go to Golden State. Like I said, when it's game seven, it doesn't matter. Throw out the records, throw out everything because yeah. it's a 50 50 chance there. I think Boston finds a way. They they historically have played through this playoffs better on the road yeah. than they oh, have yeah. at home. Yeah. So I think we talked about that. Last I think week. if they can find a way to win at home tonight, I think they got a real good shot going back to golden state to win it. I, I like the Celtics to win two in a row here and, right. and take home a championship. All right. Well, that's our show for tonight. I uh, appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, you know, we'll uh, see what happens and, you know, with this NHL and the NBA and we'll, we'll keep watching sports, man. We love it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. We'll let Colton do the honors. Yeah. So appreciate you for listening to fired up with your host, Colton Cal and chief Rob Cal. We uh, hope you enjoyed our episode this week. And, uh, you know, if you want to hear other topics for future episodes or, you know, you just got a burning sports question you want to hear us talk about on the show. Like dad said, there's always something going on in the, in the sports world and we may not always get it or may not always catch it or may not find every topic as interesting as somebody else out there. So We'd uh, appreciate you guys, you know, reached out to us on our on our Instagram, which is uh, fired up underscore podcast. Or you can find us over on Facebook at fired up comma sports podcast. Um, or as always, you can head over to our website, which is fired up one dot dot com, where you can find all of our past episodes and just a little bit of information about, you know, about the guys on the show and a little bit of information about about the show itself. Um, and as always, you can find us on pretty much every podcast platform you can think of Apple, Google, Spotify, Pandora. So, you know, if, if you can listen to a podcast on any any of those places, you can find you, us. You find us. So appreciate you guys listening. And as always, stay, stay fired, fired up. up.